Hello and welcome to the Skewer Podcast. This episode was recorded on February 3rd, 2016 at Chicago's Cafe Mustache. It's a good one. Enjoy. This is a live news review. We're going to tackle the month of January 2016 and show it whose boss it is, right? Back to, back to the olden days where we, where we show months what they are. Show months. Um, I'm going to be drinking honey the entire night to try and liquidate my, uh, my vocal cords. But that's that. We want to we wanna jump right into what's going to happen. And so we're going to bring you op-eds. We're gonna bring you a hot debate of the previous month, and uh, and then we're all gonna go happy. We're all gonna go home happy. So without further ado, uh, because I know that you want to get to the content, we're gonna bring up our, our first op editor. Uh, tonight we have uh, a, a new person to our stage, uh, like like many people, because we've only been in progress for three months. But uh, this person is Kayla Lane Freeman. She is a writer who just recently moved from Boston. She teaches kid, uh, kids art, which I think is very nice. And uh, sometimes she tries to remember what she taught them. Please help me welcome Kayla Lane Freeman to the stage. something you already know. CPS, Chicago Public Schools, as an organization, is fucked. And maybe you are a 20-something or a 30-something who attends literary and other performance events in cafes named after ironic facial hair. So you, in all likelihood, do not have a child. And if you personally do not have a child and you don't have a personal stake in this situation because this child, this non-existent child, uh, is not in school. But seeing as the majority of us in this room are likely either poor or slightly less than poor, but certainly not comfortable or rich, I will appeal to you from that position instead. And I think you can all relate to the feeling of dumb, I'm sorry, I almost fucked it up. You can relate to the feeling of dumb rich fucks be spending money all stupid like. <laughs> Hold on to that, that will come back. Uh, it's otherwise known as that feeling that you get when you see a person on the train who is younger than you, but they have a handbag that costs as much as the discrepancy between the amount in your bank account and the amount of the check you wrote for rent. Yeah. <laughs> CPS is in a similar situation. Uh, today, it was announced that in order to balance their budget, 
CPS has borrowed approximately $700 million at an interest rate of 8.5%. This is not a good deal. $700 million to pay the salaries of the teachers who are already currently employed for the school year we are already in the middle of. This is terrible planning. This is the equivalent of a payday cash advance loan for the rent you are already two weeks late on and the payday loan broker is so aware of your desperation they aren't even pretending to cut you a good deal. You are hook, line, and sinker deep in it on this one. A mark from a million miles away. One could see this situation and feel really bad for Rahm Emanuel and this terrible position he's in and the shit he's had to do to try and save his beloved schools. I say his beloved schools, but not the beloved of his children because I remind you he sends them to private school. Yeah. <laughs> but before you cry tears of indignation for the sad state of the mayor, what if I told you he had a golden ticket? A one signature solution that could have, in many ways, made this whole thing go away. Not a long-term solution by any means, but a way to put out fires and avoid the newly acquired debts of today. It sounds so simple of a promise. You probably don't believe me, but I will tell you a small parable. So, two thick-pocketed boys with silver hair and golden toys gather at the corner of Lakeshore and short-sightedness to play a game for keeps. Enter. Baby Romeo Emanuel, the patron saint of goddamn it, we're fucked. Chicago. We've given the wheel to a tiny ballerina hell-bent on steering the ship straight into the sea. His greatest achievement of late has been rejecting Governor Rauner's plan to take over CPS into his grubby capitalist hands. For those of you who would like a refresher, let me fill you in. Before America had Donald Trump, a man who unironically and unhyperbolically embodies every aspect of a cartoon villain, <laughs> before we had Trump come a big old D fill in this role, this character, this dystopian villain, is the type that a writer, in trying to illustrate the political personality of Rauner, might satirically and rhetorically compare him to. So let's assume that Trump didn't trump my image and we'll pretend this still functions as a sort of synecdoche for rapper. Let's continue. Baby Rami's latest achievement is a passive one, rejecting Rauner's proposal to take over CPS and thusly, Rami has shown the level of heroism of a mother who does not forget to take her infant out of the car seat when she enters the store on a hot summer day. <laughs> this mother could still proceed to feed the baby only Twinkies and Fruit Loops for the rest of its poor, malnourished baby life, but she didn't slow cook her baby in a Mazda hatchback, which is a far less achievement than it is a failure to just fuck up completely. Enter. Little Georgie Lucas of Star Wars fame, never not in the news, but newly trending since his franchise has re-emerged with a cast purposely diversified, pleasing everyone and temporarily quieting the Tumblr and Twitterverse, and the villain rightfully pale, a brooding white dude you knew from high school. Shopped at Hot Topic, wore jelly bracelets, long to be Gerard Way. We see you, Kylo Ren. Yes. Little Georgie Lucas has never sold products more successfully to the masses, and this time he barely needed to lift a finger to do it. 
nothing but net, money bouncing straight off the backboards and topping off every last Lucas account. But who is counting? And more importantly, why? I don't think you need me to tell you George Lucas is rich. Another obvious statement, George Lucas doesn't care about CPS or Chicago necessarily, but that's okay. No one asked him to. However, back in 2014, and yes, CPS was still this fucked in 2014, little Georgie Lucas was sitting on a pile of dough and looking to spend it. $700 million to build a tower for his toys on Rami's turf. The Lucas Museum of Narrative Art. Maybe you've heard of it. There's a vote tomorrow on whether or not they will go through with the plans to build it on the current parking lot of the Bears Stadium. This museum, it's like the deluxe version of the biggest Lego set or Hot Wheels track or Barbie Dreamhouse money can buy. So little Rami and Georgie bang plastic together and pretend to duel and they roll around on the floor and they tickle and they giggle and they snicker and they laugh and they kiss each other's butts and they pretend they don't like it nearly as much as they really do. <laughs> and as you remember, Rami runs a city that really needs some money. Schools are falling to pieces, buildings forged on invisible foundations of more than one kind. But greedy hands grow hungrier. Private institutions leech green off the top, stuffing the muck deep into back pockets and wiping their dirty hands on their shorts, but only after sniffing them first because they're sick little fucks. Yeah. <laughs> Someone asks little Rami about his decision to permit this gaudy toy box, and Ron, with all earnestness, says this museum is for families, for the kids, that it would be highly educational. And I trust his rationale. I like museums too, but I can't help but see the obvious fact that, you know what's even more educational, Ron? <laughs> Schools. <laughs> but it seems like with all of this fun, Rami has forgotten how dire of a situation he is in and how he literally can't afford to let this go. $700 million, do you remember that number? That's not just the amount that Georgie was shopping around, willing to be paid a check already written and waiting to be handed over. It's the same as the CPS debt. And despite not having a dime to the city's name, Rami tells Georgie, hey, it's no big deal. Oh, and he's right. It's not a big deal, it's a very great deal. It's an extremely good deal for Georgie because this one is on the house. Because this one on the parking lot of Soldier Field, this one is on the big shoulders. Because this one, this $700 million, could have been the bucks to back the entire CPS deficit, breaking down to the salaries of 161 Chicago school teachers for 10 years, keeps the jobs of the aides and assistants and the special ed teachers who are the current lambs on the slaughtering block. And although this $700 million would not fix things forever, it would take care of it and would prevent the rapid descent into further loss. But because <laughs> Rami wanted the museum at all costs, including no cost at all, he rejects that check, rejected that check, and for only $1 a year, let little Georgie write his name in the sand with the biggest stick he can find. Thank you. Henceforth, I will always, always 
refer to Rahm Emanuel as Rami, uh, just to take him down a little bit. I encourage you all to do the same, right? So at this point, you're sort of you know, settling in. You may have gotten a drink at the bar. You're, you're sort of finding out a little bit of what this is. Yes, this is a skewer. Once again, we're going to take the news from the previous month and uh, make sure that it's distilled into its purest form of op-ed. Next up, we have uh, Matthew De Fiore. Um, he has a job. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, he's, he's getting. Good for him. You gotta listen to this, though. He's getting married September 4th. Oh, yeah. 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 And uh, none of you are invited, uh, so, so I apologize if you got your hopes up. Um, he's a bang up gentleman. Uh, he performs in uh, BYOT, Bring Your Own Theater. I'll talk a little bit more about that a little later. But uh, please help me welcome Matthew Day Fiore. Alright guys, how's everyone doing? Good. 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 Alright. So, uh, the end of 2015 and start of 2016 have been hard on all of us. Not because of global warming, not because the healthcare system in our country is still screwed up, not because world hunger is still a thing. No. It's because celebrities won't stop dying. Yeah! I mean, uh, Specifically, Lemmy Kilmeister, David Bowie, Alan Rickman, and Abe Bogota. All right? All of whom recently passed away, and all within a few weeks or even days of each other. Now, their deaths were tragic, unexpected, upsetting, and most importantly, rude. <laughs> now, first to go was Lemmy, all right? Now, don't get me wrong, the man was a rock star, literally. Sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole nine yards, okay? And good for him, because, you know, if you're going to be alive, you might as well live, all right? Uh, however, I mean, unfortunately, I wasn't really a big fan of his music. But, as a metal fan, a lot of my favorite bands were saddened by his passing. So then I had to listen to my favorite artists be upset over something legitimate. <laughs> That's not what rock is about, okay? Uh, rock is about angry white guys that have nothing to complain about. Okay, so thanks for that, guys. All right, two weeks later, David Bowie passes away. All right, and I'm, I, yeah, I know, I felt it. Uh, and I'm gonna give him the most props out of all these guys, and I'm gonna get to that later, okay? Anyway, the point is, he passed away, all right? Now, I remember reading on my phone when it happened and doing a double take, right? Like, did I read that right? Yes, indeed. What really stood out to me was how no one saw this coming, okay? Like, oh, thanks for telling us you were sick, I thought. <laughs> then I listened to his last album, which came out two days beforehand. And the lyric, the first lyrics for Lazarus, the latest single to come out from the album, were, Look up here, I'm in heaven. <laughs> How did we not see this coming? Man, I feel bad for all the reviewers out there that put out a review of the album before he died, saying that the album wasn't that great, and then he died. <laughs> Surprise! Like, thanks for your negative review of one of the greatest artists in the last 50 years' dying work. Uh, now, the other big thing, uh, everyone gets obsessed with an artist's work right after they die, right? Like, 
Like, how big of a diss is that, you know? Like, that's the best way to say, hey, too bad you didn't stay around for another day or two. We would have told you how fucking awesome you were. <laughs> but I guess, you know, you're dead now. Uh, <laughs> other fact, David Bowie died at age 69. Now, I am that immature asshole who can't hear the number 69 without immediately thinking of sex and commenting on it. No matter the situation, period, alright? But as a badass rock star with a sense of humor like Bowie, I feel like 69 might have been the age he wanted to go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and yet again, uh, another, uh, oh, sh yeah, uh, another rock star goes whose music I wasn't super huge into, but all my favorite artists were, and again, cue the sadness over a real issue. Uh, and to top this off, now I'm thinking about my favorite artist dying and how ill-prepared I am for that, alright? It's one of those things in life you never think about, right? Like, when you were younger and your mom took an extra 15 minutes to come home from the grocery store around lunch, I don't know about you, but I started to prepare myself for life after her passing, <laughs> alright? Uh, uh, you know, I thought about who I'd live with, where I'd go to school, what my friends would do. These are all things I thought about, okay? <laughs> Uh, and with a mom as slow of a driver as mine was, I had a lot of time to think about these things, okay? And as an adult, you still think about what would do if something happened to your parents, or a loved one, or a close friend, etc. But you never think, what am I going to do when the guy who releases albums that I buy every two years dies, and artists like Justin Bieber take more of the market share? <laughs> but I digress. Anyway, here's where the real rudeness comes in. Four days later, Alan Rickman dies. Yep. Are you kidding me? I'm, I'm not even done grieving over Bowie and obsessing over his music that I didn't really appreciate before he went. Now I'm forced to think about who I have to choose who I'm going to feel bad about, okay? I don't have enough time in the day or the willingness to be that sad for two celebrities now. And now I feel like an asshole and it's sheerly due to death's poor timing. And this has gotten me thinking, we've got to plan this shit better, all right? Now, how would you like to die, and then the next day, your brother, or sister, or Oprah dies, okay? Someone's getting forgotten about in the long run, because, well, Oprah gives people cars. So if you ever plan on having a car in your life at some point, you are now sad that your choices, chances of getting one are now that much smaller. And I don't blame you. Uh, and yet again, Alan Rickman goes at 69. I guess my freshman year religion teacher was right when he said 69 would kill us. <laughs> he was. Uh, now this gets back to, to why David, Bro David Bowie gets the most props. He gave us a couple weeks after Lemmy, you know? Not this four-day shit like Alan Rickman, you know? I mean, I remember a few years ago after the Harry Potter movies ended, there was this meme that went around the internet that had Alan Rickman on it, and it said, When I'm 80 years old and sitting in my rocking chair, I'll be reading Harry Potter. And my family will say to me, After all this time. And I will say, Always. And I read that and was like, Oh good, well we don't have to worry about this guy going anytime soon. He's planning on being here till he's at least 80. This guy knows when he's going, and it's not going to be within the next 10 years. And then no more than four years later, dead. Yeah, rude. <laughs> and then finally, Abe Vigoda. 
a whopping five days later. At least it wasn't that four-day shit like Rickman tried to pull. Anyway. All right, now I remember Abe from the Conan O'Brien show where he was a regular for bits that they did for many years. The man slayed me, all right? I actually remember when Yogi Berra died a few months ago and being concerned when I heard because I was confused and I thought it was Abe Vigoda who died. Now, nothing against Yogi, but I'm a Red Sox fan, so I was a little relieved, well, when, you know, it wasn't Abe Vigoda. Uh, now, that relief lasted for four months, okay? Anyway, the last I saw Abe was on a bit on Conan, when Abe basically decided to leave the show, and Conan did this thing that was a play on Air Bud or Old Yeller or whatever, when he, uh, when he lets the dog out of the cage or off his leash and yells, Go! Be free! Be free, Abe! Uh, and at that point, I remember being sad because, you know, I knew I wasn't going to see Abe again on Conan, and I was, I was certainly sad, but I got over it, you know, until he died a few days ago. Uh, imagine if, uh, if in those movies when the kid lets a dog go, if the dog actually left and then like a few weeks later a mailman came to the kid and was like, yeah, by the way, I actually saw your dog die a few days ago. <laughs> Here's your mail, have a nice day. Uh, uh, and, all right, enough of that. Now, on the bright side, I think there's one celebrity we can all agree we're happier that they're dead. And they're probably the biggest celebrity over the past year. That celebrity is Donald Trump's chances at the presidency, especially after Iowa. Yes, give it up. Give it up. Now, I'm not going to bitch about this, but the one thing I will say is rest in peace, the seeds of World War III. <laughs> Uh, show a roll in here. Uh, our, our next op editor is Elaine Phillips. Uh, she is a stand-up comedian in Chicago. You can follow her on Twitter at, at Satire's Faction. Pretty good. That's a pretty good handle. That's a pretty good handle. Uh, she also has a podcast called Bar Napkin. Please help me welcome Elaine Phillips. Hey, thanks everyone. Uh, Yes, satisfaction because there are apparently other Elaine Phillipses in the world. Um, just uh, gonna have to read up to this to show, just to show off how well I'm doing, <laughs> or rather how I don't have a, uh, I don't have a, a printer. Um, uh, so Flint, Michigan. This will be fun. Uh, no, Flint, Michigan, uh, which is the you know the birthplace, the heart of the automotive industry, and the origin of Michael Moore documentaries, <laughs> is uh, is now the center of a man-made uh, catastrophe that resulted in thousands of re residents drinking lead-filled water. Uh, the damage occurred when the newly appointed city uh, emergency city manager uh, Darnell Early uh, had to look up the name to make sure that. Uh, it's documented that it's out there. Uh, he decided to save money by replacing the Detroit-sourced water with untreated uh, Flint River water, uh, because why would there be a problem with that? Right? <laughs> Flint was only a major industrial town back when cigarettes were uh, good for you. <laughs> no reason to think that the local water might be a tad contaminated. Uh, and also understand that when I say uh, Detroit water, 
when I use that phrase, uh, I know that that sounds, also sounds like something that you don't want to drink. <laughs> but that's actually um, sourced with like Lake Huron, uh, the glaciers, it's, it's treated through Detroit. So, uh, so it actually it does come from the glaciers and um, since those glaciers aren't going to be around forever, like we should use them. <laughs> Put them to good use. Uh, but residents were immediately concerned by the look and the taste of the water. Um, the mayor, uh, Dwayne Walling, even famously went on TV, held up a glass of the uh, river water and, and, well, tap water, but you know, tap water, uh, and, and drank it uh, as a PR stunt, very common PR stunt, not unlike, uh, I guess, Joseph Goebbels. <laughs> going out there being like, oh yeah, these showers are totally fine. Yeah, I'll demonstrate. <laughs> awesome. Propaganda minister for the Nazis. You all got that reference? Smart crowd. I was like, I could go with Hitler, but it's like, oh, I'm going to go to Goebbels reference. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe, maybe I got that wrong. Maybe the mayor had just been uh, drinking the the river water long before um, and that had just been affecting his decision making uh, in the fall so that happened in April 2014 in the fall of 2014 uh, the city um, sent out uh, E. coli warnings like the, the this isn't the first issue the lead in the water isn't even the first issue with the water a few months after they did the switch they sent out E. coli warnings um, about the about tap water, they're sending out notices to advise people to to boil their water for safety. Um, they sent this out though by posting it on Facebook. <laughs> That's right, Facebook, the top place for cat videos and uh, life-threatening information. <laughs> yes, I did a lot of research for this. <laughs> just going into the hole in the internet, uh, just looking up stuff. I assume that they thought, uh, they posted on Facebook because they thought this information is only relevant to people like uh, 15 to 40 that have nothing to do during the day. Um, what's, uh, what's particularly horrible about that is that boiling water actually makes the concentration of metal only higher and more poisonous, which makes me think that the Illuminati's plan actually is not so much to kill us, just to make us a lot dumber. Uh, or at least they're, I don't know, then I guess actually now they're just in bed with the health insurance companies so they want you to die a little bit, die slowly. This is, it's all just being revealed to me right now on stage. It's, <laughs> uh, but this story came to light uh, by pediatrician Dr. Mona uh, who after seeing rashes and, and hair loss in, in children in our patients um, she first assured parents that yes, eight years old is a little young to be going bald. She looked into the state records uh, where they've been keeping records of these uh, kids on Medicaid and, and uh, saw that yes, they had severely elevated levels of, of blood in their, uh, of lead in their, in their blood. Um, she is the real hero in the story and uh, she, Dr. Mona has remained optimistic that the crisis could lead to change for children's, could be this cause for a total solution. She's even used the phrase like, we can take these lemons and make lemonade. <laughs> so that was an interesting choice of words. Uh, since she didn't clarify that, that you know, just because you make lemonade 
Doesn't mean that your tap water is safe to drink. <laughs> I feel like she should have clarified that. But uh, the water has been switched back to the original de uh, Detroit treated system, but the damage has been done um, because despite the, that clean water, the infrastructure is so coated with lead that many homes continue to have poisonous water. Um, the only true solution would be to redo uh, the entire city's infrastructure, which uh, and, and even have to go like house by house for placing pipes, which is a very costly endeavor. Um, this is a case when the, like, the original solution of switching to the cheaper river water has now resulted in something that's much, much more costly, uh, which is a good thing for all of us to remember, because um, like, when you're like if you, when you're overweight, but you try to fix that with cocaine, <laughs> you'll just end up with a much more expensive problem on your hands. Uh, to make if if your if your heart is still stone for the people of Flint at this point, uh, I'll let you know that. Um, in Flint, they have the highest water bills. Uh, it's one of the places with the highest water bills in the nation. Um, their water bill can be hundreds of dollars a month, which makes AT&T seem reasonable. And it's illegal not to pay your water bill. Uh, they're, they're forced to pay even now. They're forced to pay for water that they can't consume or even bathe in. I know. It's, uh, I, I think I can kind of understand that because, like, uh, like with my cable package, <laughs> I'd have to pay for the Bravo TV network, and that's not fit for consumption. And I suspect it causes brain damage too. So. Uh, the mayor of Flint, uh, this is the new one, not the one that drank the water, uh, she's calling for federal assistance in the matter because saying that this, both the city and the state don't have the resources. Uh, Governor Snyder, <coughs> Uh, this the uh, one that originally um, put in the emergency city manager, so still a guilty party. Uh, he's still looking for a band-aid solution for this. He's proposing things like put filters for the give people filters to put in their homes, or like let's find some magical chemical solution that we can add to the water to like neutralize all the other bad stuff. Uh, I assume that if Governor Snyder had gone into medicine. He'd be the doctor that treats cancer with lollipops and prayer. Uh, but the thing is, like, every, it's, everyone's looking for a quick solution, though. This crisis has risen to uh, a national scale now that the celebrities are interested. Cher uh, slipped, Cher, uh, Cher, uh, she's still alive. <laughs> Uh, shipped in uh, 180,000 uh, bottles of, of uh, uh, bottles of water into Flint, and bottled water is a really nice gesture. It means that the people of Flint have something to drink, but it's a little difficult to bathe or like clean uh, with. I mean, you can only take like a bottled water bath, you know, trying to like you just scored the touchdown or whatever. You can only do that so many times uh, before it's not fun anymore. And I don't know if, if, if Cher uh, uses bottled water to clean her uh, dishes or her clothes, but I think most people would just prefer to do it the traditional way. Um, 
Michael Keaton has uh, gave a recently gave a shout out to Flint, saying that uh, in a, uh, he was accepting a award for the movie Sp Spotlight. He's like, this is for Flint, Michigan's everywhere, and. I'm not sure the cash value of a SAG award. <laughs> I don't think it's enough to install new pipes in one home, let alone an entire city block. Um, there are like uh, there are you know other groups mobilizing. 300 union plumbers um, came into Michigan this past weekend to install new filters in people's homes. But as I was saying, like the filters. Uh, even with the filters, some of the some homes still have dangerous levels of lead in them. Um, so this solution that these that these plumbers were getting, they donated their time. It's a nice gesture, but it's kind of like giving a drowning man like uh, floaties. <laughs> and so it's really nice if you blow it up for him, but you kind of prefer you just pull him in the boat. <laughs> you know, and I wouldn't be surprised. If, I wouldn't be surprised though if the Flint Board of Tourism sees this as an opportunity uh, and decides to launch a water park <laughs> in Flint <laughs> with the theme of human misery. Like, this will be your, can be your own post-apocalyptic adventure. <laughs> and I know that sounds harsh. Uh, some of you are saying, Elaine, that's ridiculous. We get that you're a comedian, but like, come on, like, try to stay in the realm of possibility. Except for in the 1980s, when GM closed and laid off uh, closed a plant and laid off tens of thousands of workers, the city of Flint did try to like revive things by making Auto World <laughs> a theme park to the like this weird <laughs> tribute to the industry that laid off so many workers. I know, watch Roger and me, Michael Moore wrote uh, documentaries. This all goes back to that. Um, anyway, uh, I will say I'll end it here. Uh, it is, uh, we do have um, this devastating crisis on our hands. There's no way to kind of dance around that. Uh, and it does really require a top to bottom fix with the, uh, with the infrastructure. Um, there's no quick fix. There's no cheap solution. But uh, we need to get some real money behind this, some real manpower behind this, because right now, Chernobyl looks at Flint and feels good about itself. Yeah. That's all for me. Thank you. So uh, it's, it's pretty messed up in Michigan, uh, pretty bad. Uh, they've had a bad few uh, months, uh, years, decades. So, uh, so yay, Michigan, uh, great. Um, <laughs> our next, our next uh, better uh, with, with no hyperbole is one of my favorite uh, up and coming writers in the city. Oh, yeah. But, so you need, you need to check her out, uh, amandaclairebuckley.com. She's a storyteller, songwriter. She's performed in Italy and Washington, D.C. And she hosts uh, a, a show called Andy Up at Second City. It'll be this Sunday um, if you want to catch it. If that doesn't work, uh, come check it out on Valentine's Day, and you'll also see me uh, perform. So, so twofer, twofer. Uh, please help me welcome Amanda Claire Buckley. Um, so my mom bought me a printer. <laughs> <laughs> I 
and the printer is going to come back, and I did not plan for printers to be a thing. <laughs> I just want everyone to know that, so it doesn't feel contrived. <clears throat> so, so, at the Skewer, uh, we pride ourselves in taking on the latest political news. Girl, we burn our fingers. This shit is so hot off the press. <laughs> of course that means I'm here to talk to you about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> and I know what you're thinking. You, but no, the answer is no. You did not get onto a cursed elevator this morning, sending you back to 1998 so you could stop your parents from getting a divorce, preventing you from developing trust issues that leave you eating sushi alone with your cat, Hugh Jackman, every Friday night. <laughs> Didn't happen. We are still in 2016. Your parents still cannot be in the same room during the holidays, and we're still talking about Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> the Lewinsky scandal is trending so hard, I wouldn't be surprised if Netflix is thinking about doing a series reboot. <laughs> I'll watch it, but only if they can get Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen to return as Michelle. <laughs> I did not have sexual relations with that woman. You got it, dude! <laughs> totally would watch it. The Lewinsky scandal is so relevant that Bernie Sanders was asked if he had any opinions on Bill's past transgressions during the January 17th Democratic debate on NBC. Sanders said in response, I apologize for my impression of Bernie Sanders. He said in response, that question annoys me. I am going to debate Secretary Clinton on the issues facing the American people, not Bill Clinton's personal behavior. I'm sorry. <laughs> Despite that sentiment though, Bill Clinton's dick has come up quite a bit this month. And we have Donald the Fluffer Trump to thank for that. <laughs> Trump and other conservatives are determined to convince us that Bill's sexual past is still an issue facing American people today, or at the very least, it's an issue facing Hillary's bid for the presidency. Trump even went as far as to post a video of Hillary, of Hillary Clinton standing, not, standing next to not just Bill Clinton, but also Bill Cosby on Instagram in an attempt to discredit her as an advocate for feminist issues simply by association. For the record, Donald Trump has never once publicly stood next to Bill Cosby, so we can trust him to fight for women's rights in office. <laughs> but I digress, this is not about Bill Cosby and this is not about Donald Trump. This is about whether it's okay to hold our politicians by the balls over their potentially immoral sex lives, or if we should just forgive, forget, and focus on actual issues. I will return now to Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> The Lewinsky scandal was a pivotal point in politics for my generation. Your generation, probably. I learned how to tie my shoes at the same time I learned that it's possible to have sex with an intern, lie about it under oath, and still be considered one of the greatest presidents America's ever had. The 13th best president, according to scholars. I mean, I'm not sure I understood at the time why you'd want to put a cigar up your hoo-ha, but I understood enough. <laughs> I understood that objectively, Bill Clinton was a pretty good president. I could insert some facts here, but you all have smartphones. Look it up. <laughs> I also understand that how he handled the investigation, where investigation was objectively, in the words of Sanders, deplorable. And we're not just talking about Lewinsky here. We're talking about Jennifer, Juanita, Kathleen, and Paula. Bill did not only cheat on his wife, but he also discounted claims of sexual harassment from several women. However, there was also a budgetary surplus at the end of it all, so you know what they say. Poe buddies nerfic. <laughs> I remember deciding at the age of nine that like despite Lewinsky at all, I supported Bill Clinton. I also realized at that age, in order to avoid hypocrisy within my own political views, I would have to ignore every other political leader's personal transgressions when forming an opinion concerning their policies. 
I was probably not as coherent back then about it, but my shapes and colors of the belief were still there and they are still there in my mind. I wear blinders when it comes to my elected officials' private chambers. And I'm sure several of you also came to conclusions about sex and politics after the Lewinsky scandal. And I'm sure you still hold some <coughs> kernel of those conclusions with you today, but seeing how as of late, Bill's sex life has been splattered all over my newsfeed like semen stains on a blue dress. <laughs> That's the last blue dress joke, I assure you. So I've been thinking that maybe it's time to revisit those conclusions because maybe I've learned something between 1998 and now. Like maybe I'm drowning in college debt for a reason. <laughs> so I did some thinking this month and I came up with a really fun way to spend an evening. You get a bottle of whiskey and you go to the list of political sex scandals in the United States of America Wikipedia page. <laughs> did you know that Alexander Hamilton paid off blackmailers in 1797 when they uncovered that he cheated on his wife? When the paparazzi who, yes, was on their game, even in the 18th century, released this information to the public, Hamilton issued the first ever presidential sex apology. Quote, this confession is not made without blush. I can never cease to condemn myself for the pang which it may inflict in a bosom eminently entitled to all my gratitude, fidelity, and love. Real quote. Real quote from Alexander Hamilton. Then, of course, there's Thomas Jefferson's infamous relationship with Sally Hemings and John Henry Eaton's petticoat affair, which resulted in at least one suicide that we know of. There could be more. <laughs> According to the prolific journalist Theodore White, out of every candidate he covered in the last century, only three, Harry Truman, George Romney, and Jimmy Carter, can be confidently said to have been faithful husbands. So when it comes to sex scandals, maybe it's better to assume that just everybody has one. It's practically a prerequisite for politicians. It's as American as apple pie. So we should just get used to it, embrace it, and incorporate it into our national anthem. <laughs> but some acts of sexual misconduct are more deplorable than others. Some are relatively forgivable, and others are the sign of a potential madman. For instance, James Henry Hammond, a representative and later senator from South Carolina in the 19th century, engaged in homosexual relations with a friend during college, which he later called a little dalliance. <laughs> that seems forgivable to me, because everyone and their mom experiments in college. Yes, both you and your mom. <laughs> and his mom. Probably her mom. <laughs> However, Hammond also engaged in sexual relations with his teenage nieces and multiple female slaves, including a girl who was 12 years old. That's less understandable. But where's the line? What's a little dalliance, and what's statutory rape? Actually, that's a pretty clear line. Retracted. I'd also like to note that Rape My Nieces Hammond went on to be the champion of segregated educational institutions, so I think it's fair to say that his sex life was a clue that he might have been a piece of shit. <laughs> but what about the case of Helen Chenoweth Cage, the Republican representative from Idaho and the only female listed in the Wikipedia article? Chenoweth Cage called for the resignation of Bill Clinton in 1998 and then subsequently admitted that she had a six year affair with a married rancher before she began her career as a politician, to which I say, A, when is this being turned into a made-for-TV movie because it sounds hot as hell? <laughs> B, who would have cared about Chenoweth Hage? Who would have cared about her if what she did as a private citizen if she had not then acted hypocritically as a politician? Perhaps personal sexual misconduct does not hold any weight unless it stands counter to what you publicly stand for. You know, don't blow a guy in an airport and then ban homosexual behavior in our armed forces. That seems like a fairly good parameter, except that it would kind of mean that Donald the Fluffer Trump is paused to swallow vomit, 
right. <laughs> hear me out, hear me out, guys. <laughs> Trump is sort of right to call out Hillary Clinton because she has been an advocate for women's rights on the campaign trail, even claiming that all sexual abuse victims should be believed. However, she has also publicly discounted the claims of several women who have confessed to being sexually harassed by Bill Clinton. Ben Shapiro told the Washington Post, the irony of this situation is that the Clintonian defense, everybody lies about sex, does not fly in a world in which Hillary has declared that nobody lies about sexual assault. And this is exciting news. This is proof that we're finally living in a world where sexual assault exists in our political dialogue. It's proof that a candidate's personal actions regarding abuse and women are now being considered relevant to their integrity as a politician. That would be an amazing stride in women's rights, except that the politician we're holding accountable for this is the only female presidential candidate our country has ever viably seen. But you know, nobody's nerfed. <laughs> Not even America. Despite that reasoning, though, I still can't bring myself to condemn Hillary or even Bill Clinton politically. I do not like how they have treated women. I will not attend their Christmas party. I was not invited, but I will not attend. <laughs> However, the Clintons are objectively effective politicians, some of the most influential legislators we've had in the, past few in the past few decades. And it's odd, but I'd rather see them serve our country than crucify them for an immoral action and hypocritical stances. Just like how I'd rather have JFK sign the Civil Rights Act of 1964 than throw him under a bus for dipping his diddly stick in Monroe. I don't know, why let one bad apple ruin a lifetime of meaningful legislation that is ultimately for the greater good? If we did that, it'd be like damning every printer that has had a paper jam. Yes, paper jams are literally the worst thing in the world, but paper jams are gonna happen. And we need printers. If we tossed out every printer that fucked up a simple two-page job, in our eventual moment of paper needs, we'd have no printers. So we might attempt to hold our politicians to higher moral standards than, say, our Uber drivers. But whether we like it or not, politicians are people. And people are, without exception, morally corrupt and eternally damned, soulless creatures looking for every opportunity to serve their own needs before yours. Darwinism. <laughs> if we continue to hold our politicians to such high standards regarding their personal lives, we'll be shooting ourselves in the foot democratically. Don't get me wrong, I would love more than anything to one day have a president, house, senate, and cabinet filled with politicians who have never committed an immoral or violent act against another human. Heck, I would love if we decided that our politicians had to take a vow of celibacy in order to assume office, because I think then we'd get a less power-hungry subsection of our population to run. But honestly, if we did that, we'd have no politicians. We just would not have a single politician. And even now, if we're going to condemn Hillary for standing next to Bill Cosby, we might as well sink this ship called America because ain't nobody getting out alive. We've all stood next to Bill Cosby. And I'm not saying that this situation is the platonic ideal of a republic, but the fact is we need somebody to run for office. And the truth is that most men and women in our country either are or have been morally flawed. I mean, Obama did cocaine. Sanders proposed to his wife in a friendly's parking lot. I'm sure someone finds that morally reprehensible. And yes, assault is assault, and affair is, you know, an affair. But as a democracy founded on freedom and liberty, we can't fully control what a person does privately, but we can control what legislation gets passed. That's the compromise. And at the end of the day, we need somebody to pass that legislation. It doesn't have to be Gandhi. It doesn't have to be Mother Teresa. 
It just has to be somebody with good policies and a sharp head on his or her shoulders. And you can call me a pessimist, but here's the damn dirty truth about the morality of our politicians. Po-buddy's nerfic. Po-buddy. Thank you. So, uh, now is in the show, now is the time in the show where I explain a little bit more about the show. Um, if you like the show and want to be a part of it, come to come talk to myself or Tom Harrison. Um, he'll be up on the stage in a little bit. Um, also, if you walked in and paid some money, we really appreciate it. If you didn't, um, we ask for anywhere between zero, five dollars, whatever you have to give, because the money goes to the writers. So if you ask other show hosts, whatever, this is a practice that we hope to continue and spread throughout the literary community. People deserve to get paid for their art. So that's what I have to say. Um, now is the time in the show uh, that we do our skewer debate. Um, we have a topic from the previous month, and we hash it out uh, like, like politicians might um, <laughs> if they were effective. Uh, so, I'm going to bring up two people, um, don't come up yet, you'll have your time, but I just want to introduce you first to uh, my first, Tom Harrison, uh, he is my co-host, we co-produce and co-host uh, another podcast called uh, You Don't Understand, uh, also hosts this show, The Skewer, every month, so if you didn't like me, come back, <laughs> see Tom Harrison do it, and then make your assessment. Um, <laughs> He's a great guy, uh, has been in McSweeney's, among many other things, Right Club. So uh, please help me welcome Tom Harrison to the stage. Our, our second debater is uh, none other than Zach Wazanka. He has a fabulous last name that uh, is very hard to pronounce. Um, <laughs> He is a part of BYOT. I mentioned that a little bit earlier in the show. It is Bring Your Own Theater. It's a 24-hour uh, theater project that they get their theme Friday night, and then they produce a show on Saturday. Um, it's the last Saturday of every month. He is the director of outreach, and uh, he has art that you can see at Zach Doodles 2.0 on Facebook. So please help me welcome Zach Wajamka. Tonight, the, the stakes are, are a little higher, and, and I'm going to explain why. Uh, what I have in my hand is the first ever Skewer Award. <laughs> yes. The winner, the winner of tonight's debate gets to go home with the first Skewer Award. We're going to come up with a fancier title, but for now, the Skewer Award <laughs> is going home with somebody tonight. Um, and so let's get into the, uh, the, the gritty, nitty, dirty stuff. Gross. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, today's topic, um, as some of you may know, Univision announced this month that they were purchasing a 40% controlling stake in The Onion, which also owns the AV Club and Clickhole, with an option to, quote, buy the company outright. It is an unlikely pairing. However, it is certainly not the only awkward pairing that could take place. Who should buy The Onion outright? Why would your particular company benefit the most? How would The Onion be used by each of their companies? We will find out tonight as Tom 
will argue that the onion should be bought by Fox News. And Mr. Zach Rajanka, he will argue that the onion should be bought by the Disney Corporation. Yes. So this is how they. This is how. This is how the debate's gonna work. Um, you'll have three minutes of opening statements. Then there'll be a brief question and answer period where I will ask policy-ish questions to each of the candidates. And then they'll have time for closing statements. At the end, you will get to decide who walks home with the skewer award by a round of applause. So um, we are gonna start off tonight's debate uh, with Tom Harrison. So. Okay, so we're all thinking it. Uh, we're all gonna be waiting for it to happen. So I'm just gonna get it out of the way right now. Uh, the Onion, the Onion does fake news. Uh, so, sounds like Fox is a perfect match. <laughs> yeah, okay, I said it, we all heard it. It's done, let's move on. So I briefly worked for The Onion, an experimental writing team under Scott Dickers, editor-in-chief of The Onion for over a decade, and I learned from him what it is about The Onion style that makes it so su successful. Subtext. And that's really all there is to it. That's the secret ingredient that so many of The Onion's imitators forget to include. It's one thing to make a silly headline, it's another to make a joke that has subtext making a cogent point about the world we live in. So now at first I struggled with how to seriously advocate for this weird slash fic onion on Fox mashup nightmare that Eric has cruelly foisted upon me, <laughs> I, probably while cackling evilly at the rhetorical contortions he knows I'll have to go through to pair my beloved onion to that most odious of dumbass dog pounds, Fox News. <laughs> but then it came to me, subtext. Subtext is the brick by which the onion has built its empire, and if it must be owned, it must be owned by the true masters of the form. Say it with me, children. Fox, Fox News. All of their success in spreading and normalizing their dangerous message of uh, racism, intolerance, and hatred comes through their use of subtext. As much as they like to, they can't just say, hey, all you little hate-drunk proto-Nazis. <laughs> the race war is gonna start basically today. <laughs> If it hasn't already. And are you really prepared to let those scary browns forever taint the purity of your porcelain lily-white daughters, irreparably ruining them in one horrible thrust, like a dollop of cream dropped into coffee but with the colors reversed? <laughs> That'd be unacceptable! No way they could get away with that! Actually, they probably could get away with that today. But that's only because of the years of subtextual groundwork they've laid. They are the masters of saying what's left unsaid. I'm just gonna run through some of the hits and translate the subtext for you. What a helpful boy am I. <laughs> so we all remember when, San when Megyn Kelly said that, of course, Santa Claus is white. Subtext, <laughs> subtext. No nice man could be anything but white. And if there's a man so nice that he's a wonderful magic man who makes everyone happy, guess what he looks like me? He looks, he looks like me. Uh, Brian Kilmeade, in an episode of Fox and Friends, almost gave up the game with this exact verbatim quote, for real, <clears throat> we keep marrying other species and other ethnics. The, sw the Swedes have pure genes. They only marry other Swedes. In America, we marry everyone. That was real. So <laughs> that was the not joke. <laughs> 
subtext, it seems a white man can't go a day without hearing the siren song of some ethnic tempting his pure white rod. Uh, remember how those red cuffs from Starbucks didn't say Merry Christmas and that was an attack in the war on Christmas? Yeah, okay, subtext. Can you believe the Jews? <laughs> First the banks, then Hollywood, now our coffee. Why can't they just accept that the world must cater specifically to white Christians? Shocking true fact, Snooki and JWoww were on that episode of Fox and Friends and, <laughs> and wisely dismissed the whole issue as nonsense. Oh <laughs> Second shocking true fact, in 2015, someone booked Snooki and JWoww to be on TV. <laughs> Fox News also reported that radical groups like Black Lives Matter were sparking an epidemic of violence against police. So much subtext here. Let's begin. <clears throat> Black people are saying, don't kill us, which is a radical move that we cannot abide. <laughs> They're saying their lives matter, which is insane, <laughs> and are just murdering cops, our beautiful boys, wholesale. It's just the way those people are. And so really, who can blame the cops for shooting just, just anyone? Uh, never mind, never mind the fact that only 22 cops have been killed that year when that was reported, uh, which made it half as dangerous a job as commercial truck driver. And in fact, you're more likely to be murdered as a normal civilian-ass citizen of Baltimore than as a cop. Especially when you factor in the particular way the Baltimore Police Department protects and serves. So yeah, The Onion and Fox News don't exactly have compatible messages, but the method by which their messages are communicated is the same. And it's time The Onion learned from the masters. Wow, Very well put. Well done. You throw enough words at something, and then eventually that's got to be true, right? Yeah. Um, so anyways. I was uh, thinking about it, and uh, why, like, um, why should Disney own The Onion? And I kind of thought, why? And it's, it's not a, more so a question of if, but more so when. <laughs> Let me get to this. Uh, Disney is an ever-growing company that is, uh, like, it's been with you since your childhood. I mean, even today, there are very few songs that the millennial generation cannot sing along to. I mean, we're your nostalgia, we're your Friday night sleepover, and we're already spreading into every aspect of your love and of whatever you love and cherish. I mean, try and hate us. No, really, go ahead. I mean, curse any one thing that we do, and for every one thing, we'll provide at least ten other things that you'll no doubt love. And when you think you've had enough, or when you're so absolutely sure that there's nothing else to break you down, oh, we'll find a way. <laughs> Unlike Fox News, you can't ignore Disney. <laughs> That means releasing a sequel ten years later about some beloved toys, we're here to stay. And I mean, what's not to love? I mean, we've grown, we understand, I mean, we've progressed from damsels in distress waiting for Prince Charming to distressed damsels ready to kick ass and take names. While my counterpart is still trying to figure out if damsels should, you know, have the right to choose. <laughs> we've proven our ability to absorb companies and deliver top quality entertainment. And if you don't believe me, well, I mean, let's take Star Wars, for example. It was basically just as good as the original, if not basically the original. <laughs> Did 
Did you like Did you like the adventures? Did you like Guardians of the Galaxy? Chris Pat, Pratt? That's thanks to us. <laughs> Take also, for example, every single Pixar movie you've seen, where we're actually able to bridge the gap between childhood stories and adult contemporary humor. I mean, do you also enjoy never-ending sports on ESPN? Yeah, we own that too. I mean, we're already so embedded into every part of your life, you've probably passed at least ten Disney-owned products walking from the toilet to the sink. I mean, if you don't believe me, Mickey Mouse is on that fucking mug right there. <laughs> Finally, we know the Onion's humor can be demented. I mean, obscene at times. And not only do we believe that we can facilitate such humor, we also plan to take it further. We don't just plan to cross the line, we will break it down with a wrecking ball. <laughs> oh no, you thought Miley Cyrus was just an accident? It's <laughs> a long-standing joke, so... I mean, I'll definitely come back to this, but... It's not if, but when. Give it up for these two. Good opening around. Alright. So now, now it comes time for the Q&A portion. I'm going to have each person step up to the mic and answer a policy question if they have additional things to say they may. But, you will be cut off if you go too long. I'm not fucking around. <laughs> All right, so since we started with Tom, we're going to start with Zach for the Q&A. Zach, step up on the mic, sir. So, your question. The Disney Corporation has a, a large base of liberals, correct? Mm -hmm. And so how can they attract the Republicans as much as Fox News might be able to? Well, I mean, how does the Fox Channel attract so many liberals? All owned by the same thing, right? I mean, that Fox 31, or, you know, the Fox, everything like Brooklyn Nine-Nine and everything like that, that's already attracting liberals, all owned by the same Fox News Corporation. I mean, we can pander to any type of audience. I mean, we get your children. <laughs> that's where we start. You remember us, right? No. Good. Great. Tom, your question. Dis Disney owns childhood. It's, it's nearly infallible, man. Why do you hate the child and everybody? <laughs> oh, Eric, I don't, I don't hate the child. It's because I love the child that I support Fox News, and you'll see why. Because, because Disney peddles the same sexist message. Oh, women, you gotta be a princess. You gotta get saved. You don't gotta talk. You don't, have, you don't need to have as many lines as the male characters. Yet your face has to look the same in every movie. They're feeding this lie to the children who don't have enough mental fortitude built up to decide if it's right or wrong. Fox News feeds this lie to adults who've had lots of time to decide. Step up the mic. In Tom's opening lines, he, he mentioned that subtext was the secret uh, for success. What is Disney's secret for success with Young? With the onion. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, it's pretty much just showing that we're so relatable. We're so hip with the times. We can totally keep up with those crazy asinine headlines that then lead to about a paragraph of text. I mean, 
Not only that, it, if you kind of like look at my opponent, all we need to do is just really transcribe any sequence or any like any time like any episode that they have, and then we already have all, all of our material right there. That's true. That's true. And uh, and Tom. Yes. How does Fox News intend to raise awareness of the publication in the in a way that Disney obviously could? Well, Disney's very good at publicizing their their shit. <laughs> but as, as I'll uh, expand on my closing, they have to wait a long time for these movies to come out. These movies just can't don't come out in a day. Fox News, they're putting out new shit, and I mean shit, <laughs> every single day. And Onion needs a lot of content to stay relevant, and Fox News has a lot of uh, experience with that. Rebuttal, Jeff. Alright, Yes, New shit or just regurgitated old sound bites? It's a rebuttal! It's a double rebuttal! By your own admission, The Force Awakens is the same shit. <laughs> yeah, but how many people actually like that? That, my friends, was the Q&A portion. <laughs> all right, now's the time for you all to lock down your statements. You've got three more minutes, make them count. We're gonna start with you, Zach, since I'm not the first opening line. Oh, Fox News. <laughs> at times you can wish upon a star. And then at times that star will just turn around and say, shut the fuck up, Fox News. <laughs> I was going to start this by just trying to point out that the only reason The Onion should be owned by Fox News is by the fact that their demographic already confuses several articles with actual fact. <laughs> I was going to point out that there was actual, some, there were actual Republican congressmen who were fooled by the Planned Parenthood planned $8 billion abortion plex <laughs> and reacted accordingly. I really wanted to point out that uh, you guys had an article that was actually quoting from The Onion's own frustrated Obama sends, out, sends nation rambling 75,000 word email. <laughs> I wanted to point these things out, but then just going back to my original statement. We also own 27% of Hulu, which is also kind of owned by 21st Century Fox. So once again, I really just can't stress this enough. I mean, you can, you can take the onion, even, even if I lose this argument and you end up owning the onion, it's only a matter of time before we own you. The Onion has not been in a good place financially for a while. <laughs> we remember when they pulled the plug in the print edition, and even now most of their revenue comes from an in-house marketing agency, and marketing is looking more and more shaky by the day. Face it, The Onion needs a parent company that knows how to make money, and who better than Rupert fucking Murdoch? <laughs> this man with so much money that he could basically have any of us killed right, just right now. He's pay to have thugs come kill us in front of everybody and buy his way out of any consequences. He, man makes money like a millennial collects neuroses. Now, yeah, yeah, Disney makes money, I get it. 
But Disney slaves for years over your Avengers or your The Force Awakens, only to have to heave the gears of the enormous machine of filmmaking back to laborious life as soon as those movies open, in the hopes that two years later, your franchise's Phase 2 still captures the public's imagination. Meanwhile, the, uh, Murdoch has a mini Avengers worth of lurid schlock literally every single day on Fox News. The only overhead is they have to write some way to explain how the news of the day persecutes Christians and then have their plastic-faced anchors read it. I mean, <laughs> they use the same alert, alert graphics for reports on terrorist attacks and reports on trans peoples wanting to use their preferred bathroom. <laughs> that is thrift. <laughs> there isn't even such a day as the slow news day at Fox. Even if literally nothing happened, they can fill the airways with 24 hours of grotesquely profitable faff about how scary the brown people are and how they're going to ruin America. It doesn't even matter which one of them was in the public conscious most recently. Mexican brown people, Middle Eastern brown people, African American brown people. Their audience is terrified of all of them. Uh, talk about an evergreen topic or an ever brown topic if, if you'll forgive the indulgence. The Onion needs a steady revenue stream, and as a glorified blog, it's not going to do it itself. Fox News can't stop making money. And Disney, I'm sorry, but when it comes to subtlety and subtext, you have about as light a touch as a jackhammer. You got, you got your Avengers. Disney's like, oh, you like the superheroes? Ah, oh, shit, dude, he's all of them. You like the Captain America? You like Thor? You like, we're going to have him bong the shield. And go, bong, you're going to love it. <laughs> You like, you like Star Wars? Oh, damn, let's bring that shit you like back. And the solo man with the pants with the stripe? Oh, you go, you, is it going to be a new guy with a black helmet? Man, he's going to be on a ball that shoots a laser. You know there's going to be a bar full of weirdos and aliens. You like, you like a princess? She have two. They're frozen. Damn, feminism. <laughs> All the shit you want right on the surface, like a nice candy-coated slab of pandering, and that's fine if what you want is a glossy spectacle with Iron Men and X-Wings. But The Onion is subtler than that. The Onion needs subtext. The Onion needs money, and Fox News can provide both. Can The Onion's voice and message survive under Fox's ownership? Well, that's not for me to say, because this is a comedy debate, and it will never happen, and I don't honestly think it would be a good idea for Fox News to own them, and I don't care. Thank decisions in your whole life because it's going to come out today. Um, all right, so uh, we're going to start with a round of applause for Fox News. Can we get a round of applause for Disney? Right on it. Uh, 
Like this is not a normal one from the bag. You all, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to have been able to present this to you all. Uh, my, la my larynx did not fall out. But just some final, final thoughts. January 2016 has to be the worst month of this entire year. Yep. Without question. <laughs> this month has seemed outrageously long, hasn't it? Like Stephen Avery imprisonment long, right? <laughs> now, I haven't been able to speak properly for most of it, uh, but there has certainly been a lot to talk about. Starting with uh, Chicago Rising. Chicago's answer to New York's well-planned and well-established traditional, well, fuck all that. This is Chicago. We don't drop balls, we raise them. <laughs> uh, I guess, I don't know. Either way, the, the O'Malley rally-sized crowd, earnest, <laughs> earnest yet inconsequential, uh, stood in front of the Hyatt Regency near the riverfront and jammed out to none other than the band Chicago. Now, first of all, whoever booked Chicago to sing at Chicago Rising definitely has a masturbation problem. <laughs> Secondly, it's been a month. And most of our New Year's resolutions aren't just in the trash, they've been recycled, turned into Kleenex, and used to wipe away all the tears so far. Yes. Tears for Lenny, tears for Bowie, for Vagoda, for Rickman, even Obama tears. We made Obama cry this month, guys. <laughs> we did. You were 2016, you were supposed to be better than this. No. We were supposed to be better than this. We shouldn't be arguing whether the earth is flat or not, B.O.B. <laughs> Come on, Kanye, get it together and just put out one, one good song. If fingering your asshole was what gave us my beautiful dark twisted fantasy, Woo! then so be it. I volunteer <laughs> uh, Speaking of black holes of talent. Gervais hosted the Golden Gloves again. And, and the Oscars were once again wider than the East Coast during Hurricane Alex. Yeah. January wasn't all bad though. Sure, we had Oregon militiamen, but we also had 55 gallons of lubricant that got sent to them. Yeah. <laughs> um, so at this point, I need to call up uh, Matthew DeFiori back up to the stage uh, just to finish this out with me. And so. As sort of like a, a concluding thought, um, did you all catch the Democratic and Republican debates? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All day, yeah. all day. Um, so not the kind where the candidates stand on stage and talk about policies, but the debate between Donald Trump and Bernie Sanders to create the greatest cover of all time. In one corner, Donald Trump tries to make America great again back in 1917 with a cover of Over There a rallying cry to men to join the army during World War I. And I'm not shitting you. There's like three little girls on top of the stage. Dude. It's yes. fucked up. Dude. And like, that's the only way that I can say it with this voice, fucked up. So, um, in the other corner, a, a 1940s folk song about sharing. Bernie pulls out all the stuff. And I'm not, again, not kidding. You need to go to YouTube and find it. Bernie Sanders recorded a folk album. <laughs> it's true. It's a true fact. And in it, 
Uh, Bernie Sanders sings. Uh, well, Matt, Play it. take take it away. This land is your <laughs> land, <laughs> and this land is my land. From California to the New York Islands, from the redwood forest to the Gulf Stream waters, this land was made for you and me. Thanks for listening to the Skewer Podcast. If you'd like to get in contact, you can contact us at skewerchicago at gmail.com or like us on Facebook, The Skewer. Uh, you can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Please uh, review or rate us if you want. We'd be really happy if you did. Um, and see you next time. Thank you. <laughs>